I oh, okay maybe I don't what hmm Gentlemen, welcome back again to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, I almost forgot that line myself. But we are back for a second week in a row in the resurgence of this program. Pat is assignment. My headset's going all kind of wacky and shit. But hey, it's all part of the plan. I, I don't know. And I'm joined by a special guest. You've heard him before on this show. You've heard him on Nerd Talk now. He's always a big, giant hit whenever he comes because he comes prepared with more crap than I can throw a stick at, man. And uh, Justin Moltz, welcome back to the Film Find, my friend. Happy to be back. And uh, today we are going to be covering War of the Planet of the Apes. Now this is a couple weeks old, but still is a new release. And frankly, I think you know if you want to, you can go in and see this movie in a theater and not have to worry about a whole bunch of uh, you know, uh, you know, degenerates around you doing God only knows what, right? <laughs> Which is typically how these things go. So, uh, you know, we'll be talking about that and a little Different. bit more and stuff. Uh, now, I'd kind of alluded to it on the last show, and if you follow us on Facebook.com slash The Film Fine, uh, you'll have seen that I put up a post. And uh, because podcasting right now, for better or for worse, it's, it's better because it's fun to do. It's worse because it's, you know, not doing a whole lot for me. Uh, I, podcasting is pretty much what I'm doing full-time right now <laughs> until until something else comes along. Uh, so I've at the behest of others that have told me to do so, I have started a Patreon for uh, Film Find. And uh, Krista is our first donor for that, so uh, bravo to her. Uh, first up on the list there. So if you go to patreon.com slash the film find, it's a lot like uh, the H&P one will be. You know, you'll get like, you know, kind of pre-show, post-show sort of stuff, bonus episodes and things of that nature. And, uh, or if you're one of those rich people that just really want to, you know, give me money to advertise whatever it is that you uh, want to advertise, your, your own show, your product, whatever, it's like 200 bucks for an entire month. That's an advertisement every single week for an entire month for 200 bucks. Find me another podcast that gives you that kind of uh, uh, value. I, I, I say I dare not that you can find one. That's at least what I'm going with. So uh, if you'd like to uh, you know help with this show, kind of help some uh, just off cost a set of you know bandwidth, of course, and then uh, you know going to the movies and whatnot because that becomes the most expensive thing overall. 
And, uh, you know, if we get up to enough things, maybe you can help with my dog's vet bill. Because we just took old Bronson to the vet today. Little bastard has fleas. <laughs> but it's not too bad. We got it all We got it all taken care of, more or less, there. So, uh, he's just... You know how it's always fun that you got to, like, just kind of try to feed a dog that doesn't want it a pill? He's got, like, five pills I got to give him now for the next mm. week. And it's just, like, just eat oh. it, eat it, eat it. And he's like, no, no. I don't want to do it. So you got to like, you got to smother it in like 18 pounds worth of peanut butter. So that's, that's, that's where, that's the fun I'm Our living. Cream right cheese now. works too. Oh really? All right. Cream cheese. I'm taking that one into account there. Yeah. Uh, so that's the, uh, patreon.com slash the film find. And, uh, you know, if you got a couple of bucks, be nice. Uh, if not, just tell a friend, man. If not, tell a friend, review us on iTunes, all that kind of good stuff works. But, uh, you know, if you get a little value out of it, throw a little value back in. That's what I always say. Uh, so yeah, man, back to kind of a more regular sh- sort of show here and, uh, let's get into, uh, Justin, have you been watching anything lately? Anything kind of that you want to share with folks? Um, so this, this part caught me a little bit off guard. I hadn't prepared to think about what I've been watching That's or, my fault. or doing lately, <laughs> but I guess one of the most, most recent things that I could talk about is, um, so, so right now, uh, it's probably a lot of listeners, uh, no, since this is the film find, and presumably our listeners are a bunch of uh, movie uh, buffs, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble is in the middle of their Criterion sale, so mm-hmm. I always wait uh, every year for for that time to buy all of my Criterions because I don't have that kind of money otherwise. Who does? Um, <laughs> but uh, exactly. So, uh, um, so this year, uh, my my two big purchases. Um, were uh, the movie Ugetsu, which is a great uh, classic Japanese ghost movie. Um, but the, the one that I'd, I'd want to talk about the most, that I was the most excited about, is uh, the film Tampopo. And I don't know if you've ever seen this or, or even heard of it, uh, Adam. Can't so. say that I have. Okay. Um, so Tampopo is a uh, Japanese comedy. It's from uh, the... Actually, now see, I should... Exactly, because I am not prepared for this. (laughs) Um, So it's from the 90s, I believe. Um, Or actually, no, I'm totally wrong about that. Okay, Tampopo is from 1985. Sorry, mid-80s. 1985 Japanese comedy. um, So uh, directed by Juzo Itami. He is one of my favorite comedy directors uh, from Japan. And what this movie is, is that uh, uh, Itami described it as a ramen Western. But essentially what it is is a satire about foodie culture in Japan. And the whole premise of it is is that there is this down-on-her-luck um, single mom. Her name is Tampopo, which is Japanese for dandelion. So um, she, she runs a, a failing ramen restaurant. She's trying to raise a kid by herself. Um, one day, these two uh, milk truck drivers... Um, who are who are done up like cowboys and who are played by um, uh, Sutomu Yamazaki, uh, a fairly well-known Japanese comedy director, and his uh, his right-hand man, his assistant, is played by a very young, before he was in anything else, Ken Watanabe. Hmm. Um, he's in his early twenties in this film. So, um, and uh, and they show up and they they stop by this restaurant and uh, you know. They uh, they know all about ramen, even though they don't cook it, because they're traveling all over the country eating ramen all the time. And so, uh, 
as a result, Tampopo asks them if uh, um, they will teach her how to become a better ramen chef. And they end up embarking on this wacky kind of, uh, you know, kind of quest or, or journey for her to learn how to be the best ramen chef possible. Um, and it's a really funny film. That, that's the main story in it. The movie occasionally breaks off into little other vignettes that are really amusing. My personal favorite is um, actually the first vignette, which is this great kind of scene where um, these uh, these group of uh, like senior Japanese businessmen go to a French restaurant and they have like this intern with them and absolutely none of them know uh, how to read French or what any of the French food is they're ordering, but the intern does. And so this like put upon intern gets to like show up all of his bosses by being able to order off of this French menu. Um, so it's, it's really funny film. I highly recommend it if you've never seen it. And I, I do recommend other of, uh, Juzo Atami's films though. They can be hard to find. I'm hoping that, uh, Tampopo does well for Criterion because I would love for them to release, uh, his other films. He, he has a really great comedy filmography that I think more people should see. So that's what I've been watching. Cool. Yeah, I, I've kind of I've had to swear off the Criterion sales a little bit until I can like finish the stuff that I have bought in the past. Because <laughs> I get to that point, man, where Fair I enough. I will just go and I will purchase and purchase and purchase, and then you know just go okay, well I'll get to this you know in in due time, and then with all the other you know podcasts and other bullcrap that I'm ending up doing, I I don't have enough time to do it, and so I'm like. As much as I'll go, I'll I'll spend money on things that I I got to finish what I got first, and then we'll jump back in. But they do it twice a year, so it's in this time, and then uh, also I think in November, usually they'll do another yeah, one. Yeah, so, closer to closer to like Christmas, like November and stuff. So yeah. So there'll be there'll be plenty of time uh, for for people that uh, and will I finish them by then? I don't know. I'm just you know I got, I got stuff to do. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, I will say what I've kind of uh, only watched recently. Now, I did watch Atomic Blonde, uh, of which we just covered on here, movie podcast. So if you'd like to download that, that's available. I did like it. Uh, it I thought it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be, actually. I thought it was going to be people were kind of touting it as the the female John Wick. And while it was directed by one of the uncredited co-directors of John Wick, uh, this has more story than actual John Wick does, and I think I I like that a whole bunch. And um, it was I got more than I expected that I would get out of that movie, and it was good. Uh, but the other thing that I guess I took the most time with as of just recently, um, I I watched all of Glow on Netflix. Have you take a look at that yet? Okay, I have I have I have not seen Glow. No, it is fantastic. It's really, really good. It's obviously kind of set in the uh, in the eighties there when they were actually kind of. It's a dramatization, of course, of the uh, uh, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling and that uh, the founding of that and everything. The guy who directed, you know, really crappy movies and stuff, uh, is coming in. He's brought in as the director for this. He's got to try out all these women, uh, none of whom have any, you know, wrestling experience. Some have a little bit of acting experience. Um, but that's, he's played by, it's played by Mark Marin, and he's, uh, I thought he was only going to be in it for just a short amount of time, but he is in that. And Marin's getting better and better with all of his roles. Every, every, every little thing he comes into is his next, his next little, uh, you know, stint in acting is good. And that's, I think that's a good sign when you can see somebody that starts off good. I don't think he's ever been bad, 
but he's always getting incrementally better throughout each role. And I think that's a that's a good sign if and he wants to, uh, you know, do a bit more acting uh, in the future. <clears throat> oh, pardon me. So it stars Alison Brie, and Alison Brie is fantastic, and she is. I don't know. It's maybe it's because it's the the way that it's designed and everything, and um, she she's not wearing as much makeup as usual because it's not that kind of role. Um, she was almost unrecognizable at first. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's her. And uh, this is probably one of her best roles as well. But again, she's also given a whole hell of a lot more to do here than most other people. But it has your kind of standard stuff that you would see. And uh, in the uh, the ladies of wrestling and whatnot, you've got your different, you know, archetypes. Is like, oh, here are the black, here's a black woman. Here's the uh, here's the Egyptian woman, and she's gonna be, you know, it's she's actually gonna be a terrorist or whatever. Uh, and here is the the Asian chick. She's going to be the assassin, and so, but but it's also them going against those stereotypes as well, and just going, hey, look, this isn't who I am. But also being told, look, this is what we got to do to sell this sort of thing, and it's it's a it's a really good story, and I I was surprised at how much I liked it. Uh, even if you're not a fan of wrestling, and that's not you know in your wheelhouse, still worth a look because uh, it's it's a good story. And at the end of the day, that's what you really want for these things is a story, and not just you know you you can all watch old wrestling videos. That's fine and good, uh, but I do hope they get a season two. It left off you know it could end here and it would be perfectly fine. I don't think anybody would be like, oh no, we really need more of this. Uh, but it wouldn't hurt to have more. I would like to see a second season of this and kind of see where it goes because you do get to like all the characters that are involved. You get invested in the story. And when it ends up, you know, you, ha- you got a big smile on your face. And I-, I would definitely recommend it to anyone who has yet to watch it. Uh, there's, I think, 10 half-hour episodes. So you'll fly through it in, you know, you know probably two settings and stuff. So super simple. Uh, but that's uh, Glow. That's available on Netflix uh, right now. So good deal. All right, well, let's get into it here. Uh, this week, we are jumping back a couple weeks in time, uh, but this is something that we uh, that I definitely wanted to uh, talk about, and it took me about another extra week to see it before it actually, uh, <laughs> after it came out in theaters, which is odd for me, but I got around to seeing it, and let's go ahead and take a listen to the trailer for War of the Planet of the Apes. Is child. I don't know. But she was you. She has no one else. We are not savages. Apes fight only to survive. Bad human kill ape. All, all dead now. A long time. Long time. Bad humans and soldier. Years from now, your children will ask you, what did you do in the greatest war? And you can tell them, I fought to protect this world. We created this. But now, We will bring an end to their kind. Oh, 
no peace. This is war. Apes together strong. You are impressive. You're smart as hell. You're stronger than we are. But you're taking this all much too personally. So emotional! That was a trailer for War of the Planet of the Apes. That is our new release review of this week. Here's the IMDb plotline. As we know, IMDb always 100% correct in everything they say and or do. After the apes suffer unimaginable losses, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his kind. This is written by Matt Bomback and Matt Reeves, directed by Matt Reeves, starring Andy Serkis, Woody Harrelson, Steve Zahn, uh, and more. Uh, so let's start here. Uh, Justin, were you a fan of the previous two uh, Planet of the Apes movies? I am a fan of um, every previous Planet of the Apes movies <laughs> with uh, obvious reservations regarding 2001's Planet of the Apes with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I, I am a I am a longtime fan of the Planet of the Apes uh, series and uh when the the first one in this new trilogy, uh, Rise, came out, I was um, I was pleasant. I was beyond pleasantly surprised at how good it was. I was um, I, I was I had a lot of a lot of trepidation uh, following what happened back in in two thousand and one with the Burden film, um, and so <laughs> uh, so go, going in. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was frankly kind of blown away by how good, uh, Rise was. And then I think that, um, Dawn and, uh, War have done a great job continuing that story. Um, uh, though, though with a, a very noticeable tone change from the first film. Yeah. I mean, the first film definitely had like, uh, it, it was, it was a bit different, but that's, I, I thought that was kind of the, really the way that you almost needed to start the, uh, the new series off, if you will. And that was, that was directed by Rupert Wyatt, whereas these last two have been Matt Reeves. So, uh, I, I think that that tonal change come, come the Matt Reeves era, uh, was a big shift, but yeah, seeing the first one and everything really, it, it, it gave you a lot of hope for something that really could have been awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, I was a big I, I was a big fan of all of it, and, and surprised on how much so that I was because I, you know I thought I mean yes with with Burton's Planet of the Apes there is a lot to be uh, desired for sure, but there's also a bit of it that I also respect the hell out of too. I mean you know just from makeup effects and stuff alone, but I mean story wise and stuff the Tim let's be frank the problems with that movie are, are Tim Burton. By and large, yeah, it's yeah. No, the the, the makeup of 
aspects in that film are, are the redeeming uh, aspect of it. Like, you know, that it, it the apes in that movie all look really good. Um, the, the problem with it, and, and this is one of the things that um, – that I think is is great about the new films, especially as someone uh, who is already a fan of the original uh, five film trilogy or not trilogy five film series from the uh, 60s and 70s is, you know, there there are certain films that it, it's true. You can't remake them. Right. I mean, you will never have um again that that moment comparable to, you know, Charlton Heston riding down the beach at the end of the original Planet of the Apes in uh, in 76 mm-hmm. and coming across, you know, the Statue of Liberty half buried in the sand and realizing that he's been on Earth the whole time, right? You know, Mark Wahlberg coming back at the end and seeing, you know, <laughs> the Lincoln Memorial with a giant chimp sitting in Monkey the chair Lincoln, is not the same on, thing. it's the best! Um, <laughs> you, you just, you, yeah, it, it doesn't work. Um and so I, I think that they were really smart when they did Rise and that they realized, okay, we you can't tell the story from the original Planet of the Apes again. It doesn't work. So what do you do? And and they made the the, the very good decision to look later on in the original series and, and decide that what they were going to do was basically remake the fourth film in the series, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is the film that's Caesar's story about the ape uprising. And they were going to do that from a, a modern, um, a modern perspective, you know, and, and that was, and, and, and I think, I think Conquest is the second best film out of the original series. Um, it's, it's got the strongest story. It's got the best character dynamics. Um, you know, Roddy McDowell as Caesar is terrific in that original film. And so that was a good place to go to do a, a new series was to that, that story of, of Caesar. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see how like, and of course with those not being as prevalent in the minds of the general public at large. Now I know the people, the people that love those movies, love those movies uh, but for the most part, most people have just seen the first one, maybe the second one, but pretty much just Planet of the Apes, and that's about it for the majority of people out there. So I think it's good to kind of go back and maybe mine something that not necessarily everybody would have been really familiar with. And of course, you know, bring it up to the, the 21st century, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that that's true as well, right? I mean, you know, if if anybody has seen... Planet of the Apes, they've seen the original film with Heston, you know, and probably not um, the sequels. So uh, there there was definitely room for them to go and, like you said, mine material that the general public was not as familiar with. And, you know, and it's always nice not to have to see a pair of teeth behind a pair of teeth, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's another thing about these new plan of the apes films, you know, is that, I mean, the, you know, to, to watch the technology here evolve with the motion capture work and what Andy circus and the other performers have been able to do with it, um, has just been really, really remarkable. And I think that, you know, um, you know, I mean, I, I think that, that, 
Circus deserves at least uh, an Academy Award nomination for his work on Caesar. You know, I mean, he got one, if I'm not mistaken, for for Gollum. So or um, some sort of acknowledgement. But I mean, really, what he's done with Caesar is um, just just remarkable. So now I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, throw this up there. And I think there's probably some validity to it. He is probably our best unsung actor today because people because he's in these things that take so much acting ability to do and and it does don't get it wrong i'm just like yes there's computer generated stuff but the way that they do these things there is a performance behind all of those and he is in so many different things between uh this movie between uh the lord of the rings uh the king kong movie uh 1010 there's so many of the different motion cap things that he is in if they if he doesn't get at least at some point an honorary Oscar for all of his pioneer well, let's be frank pioneering work in this because there's there's as much as we've got from you know the technology that's behind these performances it is truly his performance that is there when you watch any of those mocap videos you see this is I mean everything that they're translating is coming from his acting and he's I just don't think that he gets nearly the amount of praise that is truly truly due him uh, because without him I don't think these movies work a quarter as well as they do no absolutely not I mean and that that's the thing is you know there is there is this common misunderstanding that you know that you know a character like Caesar is you know mostly CGI but it's it it's not and not in the traditional sense you know it is not keyframe animation this is Andy Serkis on set performing every action every move that Caesar goes through and then they essentially put a digital skin over him um but you know uh, he is he is actually there. Um, there's you know he's not just sitting in a booth somewhere doing a voice for a cartoon character. He is actually performing. So, and when you see the differences between all of these uh, these digital characters and everything, again, it, it goes into how good of an actor he actually is. And while you know I, I can't wait to see, I hopefully he has a really good part. In uh in Black Panther coming up because I as much as I mean we've seen him in that uh, we'll see him in that and we saw him in um what what you uh, Peter Jackson's um was it uh, which one was it the where he was live action was that in he was in, yeah he was in Kong as well he well, was he in was, Kong he live had, action and the ape as well he was in Kong yeah he plays he was Kong and he also played Lumpy the cook right 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 yeah. right uh so. You know, we we've seen him in person, so it's not like he you know doesn't exist in that world. But man, I hope he gets I hope he gets a lot of stuff to chew on uh, with Black Panther because I, I think he's a great actor that is just not just not getting those dues. And but you're right, the big thing is very cool watching this entire thing because the first uh, the the first of these of this new ape trilogy, uh, I always have to remember him the right or Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Let's be frank, these were named horribly. <sighs> uh, <laughs> But Rise of the Planet Apes was 2011, and it looked great back then, and they've only gotten better. We are now at a point where you watch these things, and you're not going, wow, look at the CGI on that. You just buy it. And that is unbelievable to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, they, they've... 
you know, made leaps and bounds as far as the actual technology with the apes, you know. And I mean, and it, it is it's a, a it's a remarkable progression. And I mean, my thing was with war, I did something which I've never done before because, well, almost never done before, which was that, you know, for for war, certain theaters ran um, the whole trilogy back to back and you could go do that. And mm-hmm. so I, I went and did that and I watched rise and then dawn and then war all back to back in like a six hour period. Um, you know, and to see the progression of the technology with the apes and, you know, the story as it unfolds all in one sitting, um, you know, it is, it's very, very impressive. So, I say almost never done that before because I never did that for like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or any of that stuff. But I did watch the first and second Avengers back to back in a theater. So I I've done that all too much actually. I did. Uh, I've done the <laughs> I've done Lord of the Rings twice. Uh, one of them was extended uh, extended Fellowship, extended Two Towers, and then the midnight premiere of of Return of the King. And then again, I did all three all three extended back to back to back. I also did uh, seven Star Warses in a row, <laughs> uh, all one through wow. se- all one through seven, uh, and I did all eight Harry Potter movies in two days, three days, uh, for, uh, for whatever it was. I think mm. no, it was I think it was I forget. It was like it was a couple of days, but I'd go back. I think it was it was probably four days because it would just be like a double feature every day or something like that. Uh, but I went through all those, so I, I've done that right. far more times. I really, the only time that I, I kind of wish that I would have done it, and I probably could have, but I really would have wanted to have somebody with me, but no one else would probably do it, would be the uh, would be the giant uh, Marvel run that they did where it was like 14, 15 films or something like that. Something ungodly. I, at this point, I've done it. Mm. I've done so yeah. much of it. I kind of want to, I kind of want to push the envelope and see what I can do. It's sick. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sickness where you just go like, I don't know. Maybe that might be fun. That might be cool. But uh, with this, I mean, yeah. I, I was um, so so. Tell tell me how how it feels going from the the second Planet of the Apes movies to this one, because how's the how does does a transition feel normal? Because I didn't rewatch any of these beforehand since you had those kind of more back to back. Does it flow as well as I hope it does? Because something tells me that it might feel like there's a a little something missing in between, or am I just putting too much into that in my own mind? Uh, well, like I already said, I mean the only the only thing is, and again, I notice this especially doing the films back to back for the the premiere war is that there is a real um, there is a real noticeable tonal shift between rise and then uh dawn and war which is definitely i think you can attribute to them them changing the directors from rupert wyatt to uh matt reeves and what's interesting about this is that a lot of people that i've talked to um there there seems to be at least i'm getting the impression there seems to be a, a fairly healthy contention to people who really like rise and have not liked dawn and war as much because of that shift because hmm. cuz like you said adam there is 
there is this sort of hopefulness in Rise. You know, it's it's a very bright picture. It's um, like visually bright. You mm-hmm. know, it's fairly upbeat. You know, yes, you know, you have that moment where you go into some some real darkness where, you know, Caesar gets thrown into like the animal rehabilitation center, um, you know, and he's separated from James Franco and everything. Um, but but even that is is much more lighthearted um, than, you know, the sequences in war with Caesar and the other apes in the the prison camp run by Woody Harrelson. So, um, you know, there's, you know, the original film feels feels very hopeful in the sense that it's like, you know, you get to see Caesar grow up, you get to see him have this this relationship with James Franco and John Lithgow's character, and you get to see him, you know, it's a it's a coming-of-age story with a hyper-intelligent chimp, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even at the end, where, you know, you have the apes rise up and, you know, uh, escape from the city, and there's all kinds of destruction and violence and everything, um, it feels very... It feels very empowering, but not particularly grim, right? Um, you don't get, you know, you don't see the apes kill anybody, for example, in that whole sequence. I think uh, there might be like, well, except for the ostensible villain of the movie, like Jacobs, and I think there might be like one or two other, like you know, kind of nobody really like police officers or something, but you don't see like civilians killed. You don't see anything like that. It's much less bleak than what you had in the original conquest of the planet of the Apes. So again, I feel like it's, it rises a very upbeat movie in a lot of ways. And the, the, the screen time is really split in that film between Caesar and James Franco's character. And, um, when you switch over then to the two Matt Reeves films, what's interesting with those movies, I think, is that Reeves seems much more interested in the apes themselves mm-hmm. and the ape society. And he really wants, especially in uh, in Dawn, I think, more, more so even than War, but especially in Dawn, he, you know... Um, he is interested in, you know, this this whole kind of almost like documentary style thing of, you know, let's go into this other culture, this developing culture of these apes and their internal politics and their internal issues and this conflict between Caesar and Koba, who is still Koba, the, the villainous chimp in the second movie is still hands down the best villain in this whole franchise. He's better than Jacobs in the first movie, who was a shoehorned villain, I felt, and he's better than Woody Harrelson in this movie, who I feel has a lot of issues, you know, but, but in the second film, other than, you know, you having Gary Oldman and some other characters, there aren't any real main human characters. None of them make the same kind of impact that James Franco did in that first film. And I really feel that's because they're not supposed to, because you're really interested in Caesar and, and these other apes, or that's where your investment is supposed to be. But I feel like, unfortunately, despite how good of a performance Andy Serkis gives, you know, it's that whole problem that certain people in, in an audience are just going to feel alienated by that. They, they're not going to be able to relate to, you know, 
talking chimps and they're going to want human characters. And I, I'm amazed by the fact that up until, you know, just months before um, war came out, you know, I was still talking to people who would be like, do you think James Franco is going to come back? Oh my gosh! And I was wow. like, no, he's dead. What? 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 Like, it's like, yeah. were you not paying attention? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, they're they're all dead. Like, and 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 you. But and that's the thing is, like, you say that to people, and you can you can almost see like a kind of like pain in their eyes because you know they want like that relatable human character. They want you know that you know that person there, and it's like this is the movie was not about James Franco really. It's about Caesar, you know. But, you know, certain, certain people can't do that, I guess. You know, I mean, I, and I even had I had a guy tell me, you know, he he had seen all of these movies. He was looking forward to war. He watched war. We were talking about it afterwards. And I was like, did you like it? And he said, yeah, it was a good movie. He was, but I got to be honest with you. I get tired of the monkeys after a while. Now, you know? and, and I'll bring this so, up because I find this I'm just to, like I find this to be interesting is that. <laughs> Uh, that's often a complaint that people would have with the Transformers movie was, I don't want to be with these human characters. Just give me the Transformers, right? And I always told people, I'm like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. You say that's what you want, but I don't think that it is. And I think if this was the case with the Transformers and they were by and large just all robot stuff, I think people would not have liked those movies as much as, as they did. Uh, because they connect with those human uh, characters uh, more so than the robots. And if you just saw robots the entire time, you would get like those other people with this movie just going, for God's sakes, can, can we just have robots talking all the time? Who cares? I don't care. Because you can't relate to that. So, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from, though I wouldn't necessarily put myself in that category. I wouldn't either, but I would agree with you in that I think the Transformers thing is a perfectly valid comparison here, you know, and that that's the thing is you get hardcore Transformer fans who say that, that they just want, you know, the robots, they don't care about the human characters, but I think, you know, the the thousands and thousands of people who have made those movies, you know, the, the multi-million dollar success that they are, you know, on actually do, you know, they, they, they want Shia LaBeouf, they want Mark Wahlberg, mm -hmm. they want, you know, these human characters with their goofy antics for whatever reason, um, rather than, than the Transformers. I also think the difference of course, is that again, like, like we've been saying is that, you know, with Caesar and these other ape characters, there's a lot of real pathos going on there and real character development, which I don't think you could ever, I'm not going to say you couldn't ever do it, but at least in the, the hands that that franchise is currently in, I don't see like Michael Bay mustering a great deal of pathos out of Optimus Prime. No, not really. <laughs> you know, so. No, but like that. And that that's the whole thing is it's like, you know, maybe somebody else could, you know, but, you know, and, and so then, you know, you you would feel like, you know, oh, yeah, we could do a whole movie where Optimus Prime is really our main character, you know, and we care about whatever he's going through. But that's not the way the Transformers movies currently are, are working. Yeah, it, it's and it's it's just not what 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 the public at large particularly wants. And and I don't know. I was like, I'm trying to look. What's the. um. What's this at as far as money goes? Because I'm so budget is estimated at 150. Opening is at 56 here in the U.S. It's 118 worldwide, so that's not bad. Um, 
yeah, so one eighteen total in the U.S. So maybe there's uh, maybe there's still hope for this thing. I mean, I, I don't, and and it, they leave it off certainly for a sequel if and they need to, and I hope they do. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'd be in, I'd be interested to see where they go in the future if they keep in the same rebooted universe of the apes films um, for, for reasons that I guess we could get into if we want to talk about what actually happens in war, because there, there are, there's a certain character in particular who I'm really curious about their eventual fate. So, yeah. Uh, so I'm looking, looks like about 188 million worldwide. So yeah, I mean, it's at this point it's on track to easily be able to make us uh, yet, yet another one if they need to, or would like to, um, so yeah, let's talk about this because let's let's talk a little bit about characters because I think that's also one of the great things about this movie uh, that that's kind of been present throughout all of them is the differentiation between the different types of apes and whatnot to where we can really instead of just having like a whole bunch of people that look sort of the same and yet are dressed kind of differently. These are, uh, you know, different types of, uh, of apes and stuff like that. They're big ones. They're small ones. Um and uh, there's there's additional characters. So Steve Zahn's character of, of uh, he's labeled as Bad Ape. He what a great what a great role. That little guy coming in there and just what he brings to the party is so good. He's just an ape who's taught himself how to speak, which is is also a very interesting uh, you know little addition that they put in there because he's looking at him just like how do you know how to do this? Are you? And he's like, no, I'm not one of the you know the many that are like this. I was just around and I figured this out. Like that's almost even creepier. Yeah, it well, it's it's definitely I I I really liked the character of Bad Ape. Um I thought he was a great addition to the cast um that you know it it definitely you know he was he was very visually distinct and he brought a lot in terms of personality and just affect and like how he spoke and interacted with the other characters. He also is sort of the, the comic relief in this movie. Um, you know, and, and he's, he's also there. I feel like because he's, he's helping to establish what I think is a big underlying theme in this last film, um, which, which hasn't really been touched on, wasn't touched on as much, I think, in the first or second, which is this whole idea of, um, of evolution and of things changing. Like, that was a tagline for the very first movie, which was like, evolution leads to revolution. Mm -hmm. But they didn't really address that as much. And here in War, it is actually a, a pivotal kind of subplot, is the fact that you know the the virus that um, that James Franco and the other scientists created that made Caesar super intelligent. You know it killed off um, like ninety nine point nine percent of the human population, um, and you know and that left like a handful of survivors that we learned in the second film uh, had a natural immunity to it. But now we see in this third film. Um, you know that, and, and we're getting into spoilers here. So, but hopefully everybody has seen it or they're okay with that. You know, we we learn that there's now this this sort of next phase of the mutation of this virus, which is you know apparently uh, continuing to evolve the apes, including apes that are not part of Caesar's original clan of like test subjects, 
And at the same time, it's de-evolving their surviving humans. Mm-hmm. So they're becoming more primitive. They're, and, and the big hallmark of this is that we discover is they're losing the capacity for speech, whereas we see, especially with Caesar, the apes' capacity for speech is increasing. You know, in Dawn, they communicated primarily through um, – uh, American sign language and in this movie now you know there's still a lot of sign being used amongst most of the apes but Caesar and kind of his core contingent of him and Maurice and Rocket and them are they're speaking in, in full-blown articulate English so and everybody's it, it's it's great and again this this goes to just great writing and directing here is that so Caesar is always, as far as language goes, for the most part, the most evolved, if you will, amongst all of them. And everybody is slowly playing catch up. They're they're farther along than they've ever been previously, but they're still not quite as articulate a, as Caesar is overall. And I like that they kind of keep that pace. But you're also showing that these other animals are able to learn and, and continue to keep going. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense because, again, going back to the first film, Caesar is the only one of them that had, I guess, what you could call a formal education because he was raised by James Franco and mm-hmm. and John Lithgow. And John Lithgow's character, you know, if um, for, for people who don't remember, if you go back and you watch the first film closely, he's actually a, a college English professor. So, you know, that's why he, he named Caesar after Julius Caesar from Shakespeare. So, you know, Caesar would have had the benefit of of growing up in a in an environment where he would end up being probably the most articulate, the most intelligent of them, followed by Maurice, the orangutan, who's the second in command, because again, as established in the first film, Maurice came from a circus. So again, he probably had the most exposure to humans and human culture in his own right. And then the other apes, it just it just varies depending on how close they are to Caesar, it seems. So yeah, now um, I'll touch on because we do have a couple of uh, kind of mentions of him and everything and a couple of sites there uh, of Koba coming back. And man, oh man, you, you are right, though. That was such a fantastic villain. He was just, you hated him so much. It's just a, like just really despicable character, and I thought I, I, I just, like seeing him again was just like it was so good because man, you just you brought a just rotten to the core character back that boy you love to hate. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and you 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 mentioned the uh, well, yeah, uh, with with Koba. I mean, like I said, I do think he is like the best villain in the series. I think one of the things that makes him. Like such a good villain, though, also is you're right that he is really raw into the core. He's this he was this hate filled character, you know. But the the other thing about him was that I think like a lot of great villains, he was also sympathetic. I mean, I love the scene in the second film in, in Dawn where, you know, after Caesar has has made the truce to let the humans go up and work on the dam um, you know, and, and Koba asks him, you know, back in, in the ape city, you know, you know, what are they doing? And Caesar kind of brushes him off and he's just like, oh, they're just doing human work. And you get that great scene where Koba starts pointing to all of his like scars because he was a lab animal. And he's like, oh, this is human work. This is human work. This is the kind of work humans do. And you totally understood why he hated humans and didn't trust them. Um, 
you know, and, and, and his reason seemed so much more valid and had so much more validity than, um, either Woody Harrelson's character in this film or, um, or, uh, uh, I just totally blanked on the actor in Dawn now. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, but anyway, yeah, and or in in there because of that fact that um, you know uh, the fact that he had this real reason. Mm-hmm. So, no, uh, it, it, and it, and you mentioned like the Brit. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. Oh, okay. No, it was Gary, Gary Oldman was the villain in the second film, um, or or Gary Oldman's character, where like their hatred of the apes just seemed to be based out of a kind of like. Uh, you know, unjustified sort of xenophobia. And I was going to say the the only thing that I would say about how well Dawn then bridges into um, a war that might be lacking a little bit is that it um, is that I think they 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 flow into one another really really well. And this is such a minor kind of nitpick, but it is evident in war that Caesar is still very much and, and we get to actually see this literalized as you as you were saying Adam Caesar is very much still haunted by Coba's betrayal mm-hmm. and the that fact has sort of blinded him to what is going on with uh, this sort of larger picture and like Woody Harrelson's character and everything because you, you have that little scene in the beginning which I've talked to some people who have actually they found this confusing um, but you know, there's that scene in the very beginning where you know there's the the raid on uh, by Woody Harrelson's soldiers on the ape outpost, and um, and and they they get captured by the uh, this by Caesar's apes and everything, and of course, um, the soldiers have have apes with them, apes uh, turncoat apes. They're called donkeys, right? Right. Um, and. Caesar's under the assumption that these apes have turned on him because they were members of of the splinter group that was loyal to Koba. And then we get that little bit of exposition in the beginning where that one turncoat gorilla explains to Caesar, you know, no, I wasn't loyal to Koba. I just don't trust you anymore. You know, you can't protect us Um and and I've I've just I've talked to some people. They said they found that a little bit confusing. And I there there seems to have been some concern about that. I guess with the writers because I do know I haven't read it, but I I do know that apparently there is actually a a novel that was put out at some point uh, fairly recently. I think it's called like Planet of the Apes Revelation, which is actually supposed to uh, bridge Dawn and. Um, war a little bit fuller and basically it deals with the fallout of um, of Koba's betrayal and of Caesar trying to you know reestablish himself as the rightful leader of the apes and regain everybody's trust and you know having to deal with some of those lingering doubts and that kind of thing so um, you know that that's that's the only thing is that that's the only little part of the story that I feel you could say is kind of of missing there. But I again, I feel like it's such a minor thing in the the big face of this overarching narrative of Caesar's story that it really doesn't detract from the film in any serious way. Yeah. Now, this is also something that I would definitely say has to 
you have to see the other movies to really get this thing, man. This cannot be a standalone adventure for you because you were just going to be scratching your noggin the whole time, going, "I oh, okay, maybe I don't what." Hmm. This this is a uh, this is a movie that is supposed to be seen uh, one, two, and three. You know, in that order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's definitely let's I talk mean, a little yeah. bit about um, the character of Nova. Thought this was an interesting addition here, yeah. and I, I I see some people kind of scratching their heads, going, "I don't know why this human character is there. I don't know why that she's all, so easily going along with this group." Uh, but you know, that's I think that's for a little bit of the uninitiated, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you know, I I knew for a while um, that there was obviously this this young female character who was going to be in the film you saw her in some of the trailers and you know the the advertising for this film you know probably i guess if i had dug a little bit deeper um online i could have figured out who she was but this was one of those movies where i really didn't want too much spoiled for me before i actually saw it and so i was really pleasantly surprised when they kind of reveal that she is nova um, or at least this this new universe's version of the character of Nova from the original series. Um, and and I really liked that. And I really liked her character. Um, and I, I I liked this this new version of her because, you know, in the in the original series, you know, Nova was kind of a problematical character because, you know, she was this this primitive mute human who Charlton Heston becomes kind of infatuated with and ends up, you know, dragging her around with him. And it it makes for in the first and second film in the original series a very kind of awkward relationship because, you know, um, you know, they that you know, he's clearly like in love with her. You get the impression that she apparently feels strongly for him, but it's not clear that she's actually intelligent enough to really understand what any of that means and you know it's interesting that if you read up on the making of the original planet of the apes movies this was something that after it was already established and they got going the the producers and writers themselves were having problems with because at one point it was discussed that like in the second film beneath the planet of the apes that nova would be like pregnant um when she reappeared in that movie with uh, Heston's child or that they would have had a child potentially by that point. And that got shot down because they were really concerned that because she was mute, because she was, you know, not portrayed as necessarily being on the same level intellectually as, uh, as Heston's character of Taylor, that there would be allegations of rape brought up. Um, and so they swept that under the rug. And so you end up with these two characters who have this very awkward, very kind of chase relationship. And Nova's not a very proactive individual or anything. So I thought that it was great that she got to be reintroduced in this new series as a, a younger woman as a child so you know we don't have to be concerned about any kind of sexual connotations really with her character and that she gets this very proactive role of you know falling in with caesar's little inner circle of apes and being you know being there to help them and aid them in a way that the the other apes can't um and that it it and and 
she's the character who I feel like if they make another sequel to this in the same universe, I would like to see it focused really on her because she's the one at the end I'm the most interested in because she is unless there's something they're not telling us they, they certainly kind of create the impression that she might be the last human now yeah and they're, um, they're, and she has that interaction and stuff and she's clearly very smart because she learns how to communicate with them ridiculously fast yeah and that's that's what's also great about her character too is that it brings back a little bit of that that hopeful note um, that I think you haven't seen so much since Rise, um, which is which is important because you know uh, when you find out about the fact that you know some of the humans the virus is causing them to go mute it's become it's causing them to become you know quote unquote more primitive right you know Woody Harrelson's character. Of, of you know the the colonel that's the only I keep calling him Woody Harrelson because he does not actually his character doesn't actually have a name in this movie he's just the colonel yeah um, maybe but, he's the colonel uh, you know, Tom his Parker from another to this universe is to just shoot these people <laughs> hmm maybe he's uh, the colonel Tom Parker from another <laughs> universe why not right <laughs> yeah but um you know his response is to just shoot these people right um you know to to get rid of them. Uh, because you know he sees them as as a backward step in in human evolution, but you know Nova shows in fact that you know the the lack of of speaking ability does not actually equate to a lack of intelligence or empathy or or anything like that, um, which I think is is also going to make her a really uh, empowering character for you know. Uh, you know, people who are mute or, you know, uh, anybody like that. And, you know, this, this seems to be, you know, hopefully that we're, we'll see this as, a, as a, a trend going forward. I'm also really excited towards the end of this year. You're going to have to have me back on to talk about Shape of Water, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Um, that, you know, Sally Hawkins is playing a mute in that film. So, yeah, just find uh, this anyway, trailer for that. Yeah, I good. really like Nova. Now, uh, so so with that with that being said, then let's go. Let's say we get another Planet of the Apes movie in this universe and everything. Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? And I'll, I'll and I'll crib it in this as well. And do you think we'll ever get a proper, if you will, remake of Planet of the Apes, so to speak, if that makes sense? Um, so if we get another film in this series, if they don't decide to just let it end here and then wait like five or 10 years and reboot the franchise again, um, if we get another film going forward, obviously I'd like, like I said, I, I think I'd like to see it focused on Nova. I think that that would be, um, where the interest would be, would be, it would be sort of a flipped version of what you had in the first film because, you now have apparently this single person growing up in a society of apes rather than um, an, a, a single hyper-intelligent ape growing up in a human society. So I think there could be a lot of tension and a lot of drama there. I don't know what the conflict would be. Um, 
you know, necessarily if it would involve, you know, them again, you know, it, it seemed like they would have to kind of undermine her sort of last human status and have there be yet another holdout colony of humans somewhere. Um, I, I don't know. It would it would take, I think, a really good writer and a really good director. I don't know if it would be uh, Matt Reeves again or somebody else to do that. But uh, as far as going forward with the series, I think that um, Nova is the character I'm most interested in knowing what's going to happen to her. So um, and, you know, and, and of course, you know, the other ape characters who we have, you know, Maurice and Rocket and Bad Ape and stuff are, are great. And it'd be cool to see them come back as far as if they don't do that and they ever uh they just decided to reboot the series down the road um again like i said at the top i don't think that the original planet of the apes is one of those films that you can necessarily remake um i think that you know you could potentially try and do something where it would be closer to the original pierre boule novel that the planet of the apes series was based on um where you would have It'd be more of a Swiftian kind of satire. That would be interesting if they interesting if they tried to do it. I don't know how audiences would necessarily respond to that. I also feel like there are some really interesting though possibilities in like some of the Planet of the Apes comic book series that have been done. Like uh, I think that um, IDW might be the the company that's currently doing some i think some of the stuff they've done in there um where you've got an ape society that's a little bit more like what you saw in the tim burden film where there are these you know sort of advanced apes but then you have humans who aren't completely primitive they're not mute but they're you know sort of second class citizens or they're sort of a slave class could potentially be really interesting if you if you did that and you didn't let it become as campy as burden let his film become so i think there's a lot of possibilities for this franchise i think that it's only limitations is you know with the the people writing and directing it and they did you know the original series benefited from really great writers and directors and um and so has this this rebooted series so you know they, I think they're they they have a they have a good, you know you've you've got a pretty good track record if you've got uh, a franchise of a total of um, nine films, eight nine films at this point, and you've only had one really bad one. So yeah, that's true. Uh, my my hope, um, if I was to if I was to venture a guess, I, I'd hope it would be uh, something along these lines. I think. Help, the human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you <laughs> dirty ape! He can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! I can sing! Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Come on, how amazing would this be? Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! We'll end the show on that one. But that is what I would want. I would want I would want a full blown out musical 
<laughs> just make that happen. If 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 Matt Reese can come back and make <laughs> that a thing, I am all on board. I will give you double whatever the ticket price is right now. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm excited to see where. I, hopefully, I I I I, yeah, I saw it before it came out, so I didn't watch the video itself. But supposedly, Andy Serkis has an idea for what what you know he thinks should happen for the next movie. So uh, it's not that it's not on anyone's mind. I don't think. And if you make enough yeah, money, yeah, and I, I think it'd be it, on that subject. I think it'd be cool because I mean, they they you do have you do have Caesar's son Cornelius, and it would be interesting if if Circus got to follow in Roddy McDowell's footsteps of going from playing you know a father to a son um, as they did in the original Planet of the Apes series. So, and I think he's got enough. I think he's got enough in him to where, he, especially I mean, CGI notwithstanding, but I think he could really act. You know. It, enough to make us believe that it's, you know, the son of that character. I don't see it as an impossibility. All right. Well, that no, is, that is, I think that's about it, everybody. I didn't want to get too spoilery on some things. I think we, uh, I think we skirted around stuff well enough, but you know, chances are if you've uh, made it this yeah. far, you've probably seen this film or uh, have a pretty good idea as to what's going to happen in it in the first place. Uh, uh, apes kind of start kicking ass and humans kind of start to die. So, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, next week, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing next week, uh, but it'll be something. I promise you guys I'm going to be back, and now that I'm on Patreon, I feel like it's my duty, if I'm getting any kind of money, is to continue to do this week after week. So if you'd like to help support this show, go to patreon.com slash thefilmfind. Uh, a couple different levels there. Throw in for what you got, even if it's a buck, man. It's really appreciated. just kind of helps keep this show a-flowing. In the meantime, um, let's see, Justin, do you have anything that you want to kind of you know talk about or uh, post or have people take a look out on or what do you got? Uh, so on the subject of Planet of the Apes, um, again, this is a, a couple weeks old now because uh, it was done for the film. But uh, there's a blog, Maser Patrol, M-A-S-E-R Patrol, um, that I do occasionally contribute to. They did have an article go up on there called um, Planet of the Apes. So it's Planet of the Apes with a J and an A in front of the word planet. Um, I did not write that article um, per se, but I was a editor on it. Um, so because uh, I, I am their sort of local or uh, their their resident Planet of the Apes person, <laughs> so uh, they they needed me to to give my seal of approval on that. But it's a it's a great article um, that basically deals with as the as the title might allude to the uh, Planet of the Apes series, the original series, uh, success in Japan. Uh, those movies were very very popular over there. They had a big impact on uh, Japanese pop culture. In the 1970s, um, Subaraya Productions, the people who created Ultraman, even did their own sort of Planet of the Apes uh, knockoff TV series called a Sora no Gundam or Army of Apes. Uh, so we talk about that. We talk about the influence of Planet of the Apes on the Godzilla series. And uh, that article talks about the Japanese special effects artist who actually assisted on the original Planet of the Apes designing the ape makeup who nobody ever talks about. So, hmm. so uh, I did that so people can look that up. And then uh, since the last time I was on this show uh, back in March to talk about Kong, I have started a uh, blog on Tumblr. It is uh, updated 
uh, whenever I have time to update it. Um, so, but it is called man creates dinosaurs. And so I blog there a lot about stuff having to do with paleo fiction, um, in popular culture. So, uh, and probably coming up, there'll be, I've already done some, but there'll be a lot of posts having to do with uh, shape of water on there because I see that movie as a spiritual successor to creature from the black lagoon hmm. and creature from the black lagoon least people forget is a work of paleo fiction because the whole thing starts off with them finding this fossil claw and then going to look for the creature that that claw belongs to. So very cool. Uh, we'll put all those uh, links there in the show notes and everything uh, for people to check all that out. So yeah. And of course uh, my other podcasts, we got a whole bunch of them. Uh, so obviously the film, find the film, find.com. Uh, if you like to rate us on iTunes, if you have any uh, emails or anything, the film find at gmail.com. Of course, my other show is hero movie podcast at hero movie podcast.com. Uh, we're doing the episode three of the original tick live action series next week. So keep an eye out for that. We just did atomic blonde, as I mentioned at the top of the show. So, uh, hero movie podcast.com. And uh, Preacher Podcast at PreacherPodcast.com. We're a little over halfway through the season there. Still kicking off, kicking badass over there. Uh, number one Preacher Podcast on iTunes, man. So uh, we're kind of proud of that. And uh, first news for you guys here. No one else knows this, Justin. You're the first person to find out because I got the email during Ooh. the show. Is uh, Looks like we're going to be doing a Preacher panel at Dragon Con this year. We actually got approved to do it. It's only a oh, month congratulations. away. Congratulations. Uh, so really looking forward to that and stuff. So that should be an awful lot of fun. Maybe maybe hear a movie podcast. Maybe I haven't just gotten that email yet, but I put in for both shows. So looks like we're at least doing one live show down there. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I'm sure I'll mention it 800,000 more times before, uh, <laughs> before that time happens. And, of course, Nerd Talk Now at Nerd Talk Now. I don't know if NerdTalkNow.com is a thing, but look it up. It's out there on YouTube and stuff. Audio podcasts will be coming back into forum and not too awful long. Just go to facebook.com slash nerdtalknow and it's all there. <coughs> oh my god, I almost couldn't breathe for half a second. I was so excited. <laughs> uh, so that is it, everybody. Join us next week when we talk about God Only Knows What. For Justin Mullis, I'm Adam Portress. Uh, we'll see you guys next time and uh, wait for the after show, why don't you?
right. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, always happy to do it. So I always, always know I, I got somebody who will uh, be able to do all the all the stuff that I need to do, and I don't have to go through and just be like, "Do you know what a movie is?" Because <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I that was one of the things when I kind of first started uh, the film find uh, way back when and stuff. Well, actually, even before then, the first podcast I started, um, I just couldn't get regular co-hosts and stuff. So it was always the hardest thing to get. Pe- and then the people that I did get just didn't quite know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they're smart and intelligent people and you just go, I, I know you can do this. You do it with me off, off mic all the time. What, what makes it so difficult to do it? It's like when they know that they're recording, it's like everything just kind of tenses up and goes, Oh, I don't, how do we, I don't know how, I can't tell you how to do this. <laughs> it's just, that's why I tell everybody. I'm like, just be yourself, man. It, it ain't difficult. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah. Again, shout out to uh, Krista. She's not only the Patreon supporter for this. Uh, uh, I mentioned it on another show. She gave me some. Uh, she she gave me some like regal bucks, if you will, and so that's kind of also been helping to me be able to go back to the theaters to uh, to see some stuff. So uh, what's coming out? I don't even I don't even know off the top of my head. I'm so busy with all the other shit. I don't know. You seen the Emoji Movie yet? Oh God, no. <laughs> Bruce saw the Emoji movie, and he's just like, yeah, it's as bad as you would imagine. Okay, I'm not going to watch that. I so, yeah, yeah, it's just, but he said he said it looks like, uh, he said the animation style was on par, if sometimes below things like Paw Patrol, which is like some really, you know, shit animation and stuff that kids that are like four yeah, years old yeah. watch. Uh, Dark Tower. So, oh, this, God damn it, son of a bitch. This is why... <laughs> It looks like we got three movies that I actually want to see next week. So you got The Dark Tower, Kidnap, and Detroit. Whew. Okay. That's a good lineup. That Kidnap yeah, looks like it was going to be like, it looked like it was going to happen like a year ago, but what happened to that thing? Which one? Kidnap. So is it with Halle Berry oh. and, the, uh, and the kid like gets kidnapped yeah, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. The trailer I, looked I, dope for, I mean, you know, it's it's what it is. It's that kind of movie, which, you know, I, I can like. <laughs> Uh, but it seemed like it was there and then just kind of gone for a while. So I was kind of surprised that that was like, oh, look at this. It's back. I thought it was just one of those things that maybe would have just skipped theaters altogether and gone to DVD or something. But Well, that happens because, I mean, we've also got that movie coming out later this year with Geostorm, which is that, that uh, you know, Dean Devlin disaster movie that was made like four or five years ago and has been sitting on a studio shelf. Is so. it that old? Wow. Yeah, it like yeah, look look it up. Like it is it is that old. Like apparently like he made it. They screened it for test audiences. It just nobody liked it. It was awful and then they were just they <laughs> shelved it and I guess they just figure, you know, all right, well, yeah, fall 2017. Oh, God, I got to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you seen it? I saw the poster for this. Have you seen anything on this uh Birth of the Dragon? Mm-mm. Uh, this is the first time I think I'm hearing about this. So uh, here's here's the info here from uh, from the thing. Set against the backdrop of the 1960s San Francisco, Birth of the Dragon is a modern take on the classic movies that Bruce Lee was known for. It takes its inspiration from the epic and still controversial showdown between an up-and-coming Bruce Lee and Kung Fu master Wong Jack Man, a battle uh, that gave birth to a legend. It's uh, directed hmm. by George Nulfi. Yeah. Oh, Okay. No, I haven't I haven't heard about that. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the rest of this year goes, I mean, mainly 
my things are, um, yeah, as far as like the big Hollywood stuff goes that's coming out in theaters is really, I think the only other movie I'm, I'm kind of excited about seeing is, uh, is Ragnarok because I've always enjoyed the Thor movies the best out of, out of the Marvels. They just, they, they hit me right where I've, mm-hmm. I've liked those. And then, um, but other than that, it's honestly like a lot of stuff coming to either Netflix or, you know, smaller things like I'm, I'm obviously super excited about the shape of water. So I don't know how big of a release that's going to get being a, a Fox searchlight deal. So they've been pretty good. lately. Um, I, th- I, yeah. I, I mean, I saw, I mean, it was, it was on top of, uh, of, of rise or, or war rather. So I think it should probably get fairly decent, you know, distribution when you see it in the big kind of multiplex and everything. Yeah. So there's that. And then on, on like Netflix and stuff. Um, so, so here, here's one. Well, so yeah, coming to Netflix is that, so we're supposed to be getting the, the Godzilla anime movie courtesy of Netflix. It's not getting a theatrical release over here though. It is in Japan and I think November, but there's that obviously. But then besides that, um, have you watched the, the trailer for, uh, bright Adam? Yeah, I don't know how to feel about Bright. Part of me thinks like it could be. Part of me thinks that like it may be a hundred million dollar Netflix disaster. I don't know. I'm yeah. I mean, this it's. I'm really like. I think that's the thing about it that's kind of it got me excited because <laughs> I'm just like this feels like such a weird gamble of a thing to make. You know that. You know, I think I think it's going to be one of those things where it's either going to be like really, really good or it's going to be really bad. But in a way that you want to talk about it because of how bad it is, not in the sort of thing. It's like, oh, well, that was just bad and forgettable. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I understand. I mean, Will Smith. Fine. Joel Edgerton's like the weird choice for me. Mm. He's a weird choice in a lot in a lot of things he's in. I don't hate the guy. I mean, I've, he's grown on me in the last little bit here, uh, but it seems like an odd choice. I don't know. And, and who's directing that thing again? No, David uh, Ayer. David Ayer. Yeah, it's like it's I again. I don't know. And David Ayer, I can uh, I usually tend to like his stuff. Suicide Squad, notwithstanding, and I didn't hate that movie either. Right. Uh, but I I did love Fury. So I, I you know I don't know. It's it's going to be worth checking out, and hell, it's with Netflix, and it's essentially free for us. So, what's to lose, <laughs> right? Yeah, and um, and also, uh, what is it? Um, I, I was going to ask, have you ever seen so so? Have you ever seen Cast a Deadly Spell? No. Uh, it's this it's this really obscure. I don't. I think it might be. Like I think now you might be able to stream it on like Amazon Prime or something, but it's this incredibly obscure like made-for-TV HBO movie from 1991 that was um, had had Fred Ward and uh, uh, Julianne Moore in it, and it was directed by Martin uh, Campbell, the guy who did uh, Casino Royale, um, and it's 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 like the same thing. As bright, and it's like the only other example of that that I know. It's like Fred Ward plays this cop in L.A. 
who lives in a world where magic is an everyday thing. And so, you know, it's like there are, you know, unicorns running around, there are fairies, there are goblins, there are, you know, mobsters with like zombie henchmen. And instead of it being him getting hired to like track down a, uh, a, a wand like Bright, apparently he's got to track down um, a, a magic spell book. So, but I, Cast a Deadly Spell is actually like really good. Um, it's, you know, it's it's really weird and it's different, but it blends like those kinds of like police drama thing with a kind of, you know, noir or yeah, noir like police drama and fantasy stuff really well. And so I'm really hoping that Bright can kind of replicate that. And I'm really curious if the people involved in Bright saw Cast a Deadly Spell because it feels like one of those things, like what you were saying about the Planet of the Apes films, where like it's so obscure that I feel like it was something that someone could have seen and they could have been like, I can rip this off and no one will know. Yeah. Uh, Cast a Deadly Spell is available on Amazon Prime right now. Okay. I so, thought I had heard that. Yeah. So, so here, here's, here's their plot line, just to give you guys an idea. A 1940s gumshoe is hired by a rich client to locate a stolen book about black magic that could destroy the world if it falls into the wrong hands. <laughs> and Martin Campbell. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's got a, a pedigree right there. You know, you got your golden eye, your uh, battle royale. Sure, he also did Green Lantern, but, you know, <laughs> we're not all perfect. <laughs> when, when's the last time you did 100% at your job? <laughs> Uh, but that, I don't know. It should be interesting. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm putting that in the list there to watch. So, I mean, boom, touch that. Uh, what do you think, uh, uh, is this up your alley or not? I don't know if this is something that you'd be interested in. Uh, but I just saw the kind of teaser trailer. I've been staying away from it cause I kind of don't want to know as, as I want to know as little as I possibly can going in. Cause I don't really know the franchise itself. Uh, what do you think about Netflix's, uh, Death Note stuff? You seen that? Uh, so I do know Death Note. Um, are you guys going to cover that for uh, HMP since it is based on a comic? God almighty. When's it coming out? <laughs> we, we October. Got, October. Actually, I think we have a slot or two in October. We could probably fit some in there. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I – so I, I'm not a super big fan of Death Note. My thing is – Cause I mean that, that's one of those, that's one of those anime slash manga series that like there is just like a rabid cult of like oh, devotees, yeah. you know, who like, this is just, this is just the greatest thing that anybody's ever done. <laughs> right. What you mean? Anime people going a little bit overboard and being hyperbolic with things. Hmm, doesn't sound like <laughs> yeah. the anime people that I know, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it's so true about death note, but yeah, I mean, my thing is, um, so I've never read the manga, I've seen the anime series. I liked the story of the anime series, um, you know, of, of the whole basic premise of it being like this kid who basically makes this like Faustian compact with this death god. He's given this magic notebook where if he writes someone's full name in it, they'll die. And he decides that he can be like a vigilante with this, a force for good. Um, you know, and then and then things quickly quickly escalate and spend wildly out of control. Um, I liked the premise of it. I think that the anime series is way too long for the amount of story <laughs> they actually have to tell with that because it, it really is like, I mean, other than the supernatural elements, I mean, this story is kind of no different than like, you know, 
kid with gun becomes vigilante and then gets hunted down by the cops. Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole, that, that really is the whole thing. He's just doing it through, through supernatural means. And so it just becomes this like face off between him and this other character of L who is this master detective. So, uh, the thing that I like is, you know, they did, uh, they've done, Three, I believe, live action films in Japan based off of Death Note. One of them was just a spinoff about L where he was trying to stop like some terrorists or something. Mm -hmm. But they did a two part live action film that was based off of the actual manga and story, which is the same thing that they're apparently doing for for Netflix. And those First two live-action Death Note films were directed by Shusuke Kaneko, who's a Japanese director that I like anyway. So I was excited when he was the one who ended up doing it. And I thought he did a really good job, and I thought that he did – I thought that one of the things he did a great job of was economizing that story and kind of trimming off a lot of the fat where he was like, all right, this is a pretty simple story. You know, kid gets notebook you know, becomes vigilante, things get out of hand. You can tell this story in, you know, in basically four hours, um, you know, between two films, which then conversely is the only thing about the Netflix movie now that kind of concerns me because I I feel like, like you know, I think the runtime on that's supposed to be just two hours. And I'm like, that actually seems maybe too short to tell this story. It mm. depends. So... I'm I'm not sure. I was going to watch it um anyway. I'm I'm definitely more interested in it now that we know that Adam Winger, the director is who Legendary has picked to do their Godzilla versus Kong uh movie in right. 2020. So, you know, I'm trying to there. find time to buff uh you know, uh, bone up on his his filmography. Um, cause I, I'm not honestly that familiar with him outside of a few things, but, uh, you know, it, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to watch death note. You know, I'm, I'm be curious to see how it turns out. I've read one review for it that came out of San Diego, um, because they did screen it early there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the one review I read was, which was done for anime news network. And I think they're always pretty fair about everything. They said, you know, that it's a very, uh, grounded and realistic take on this story, uh, versus like the previous adaptations, which have been a little bit more sort of fanciful with very quirky characters. So mm -hmm. I think that could be interesting. So, all right, quirky characters. It went on for far too long. This is this isn't this is an anime that I know. <laughs> uh, but the, the little, uh, I guess it. it I, I suppose you could call it a teaser trailer, but it was like probably three minutes, uh, where you know he's just the where you know the villain there is all in, uh, you know, kind of. Not sh a little bit of shadow, but more out of focus than anything. And he's kind of, you know, he's like, "Oh, you got the book," and he's like, "You see these uh, these bullies beating up a kid outside." Yeah, and, and I've seen that. Like, yeah. Right, like that's re it's creepy, and I'm just like, I this it looks good to me. So I'm I'm curious to see what it does, and I, and you know, kind of while it may not be, you know, for some of those nerds, it's not the it's Americanized. It's no good. Shut up. 
you know, I, I, I want to see what some of the hype is about. So I don't know. It's something I've heard about a lot, but haven't really seen anything. Don't really. And again, that's not necessarily always my bag, but I'm always looking to explore. I'm always willing I, to try stuff out. <laughs> I think if you guys do it for, for HMP, it'll be really good to have uh, uh, the perspective of somebody who is not familiar with the material. Because I, I agree with you 100% on that, that I find that incredibly annoying and unfair that whenever these uh, live action adaptations of animes come out that they are um, reviewed and and critiqued in this incredibly pedantic way regarding the source material and I'm like you know if if uh, if this if people did this with you know the Marvel movies it doesn't matter every one of them would be awful yeah you know because none of these are going to be a hundred percent faithful to the source material and sometimes that's a really good thing you know Mm -hmm. so and i think i don't i don't see why that that rule of thumb does not apply to to these live action anime adaptations whether they're made in hollywood or made uh in in japan i i think that that same rule of thumb should apply you know so uh, you know it's it's an adaptation it's by definition will be different than the source material so it can be better it can be worse it can be mediocre but you know it should be evaluated i think largely on its own terms not as you know whether or not it's a perfect carbon copy of of this other thing it's called the weeaboo effect <laughs> pretty much all oh it is. that's that's something a little bit different but yeah it's 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 all in that same it's all in the same uh the same wheelhouse if you went to that if you went to the store you'd find that person there <laughs> <laughs> no you would you would so that's that's without a doubt so um yeah so we shall see uh, well we may be able to get that in on uh on HMP there because I think we only got like four things left for the rest of the year just slots to fill everything else is just chock a block full of stuff man so it is what it is Uh, well thanks for joining me man and uh, we'll see you guys all next week yeah help the humans about to escape get your paws off me you dirty ape (gasps) he can talk 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 I can see What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're also lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas.